This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. All right, hello and welcome back, everyone, and a happy new year to all of you. This episode will be a bit different from the usual interviews, as I want to take the opportunity to end this fifth season by giving a recap of the previous year and sharing some of the projects and inspirations that I have for this year to come. Make sure that you stay with me until the end as well, because I have some exciting announcements to make about what's coming up in the next season and some ways that you can get involved and benefit directly as well. So, I'm sure I don't need to tell any of you this, but 2021 has been a very unique year. After the real brunt of the pandemic in 2020, I believe no one really knew what to expect, least of all me. Here in Spain, we've gone through wave after wave of contaminations and restrictions and even confinements that have followed all of that. At the moment, we've entered into another soft lockdown and restrictions threaten to divide this population between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And I personally am so exhausted from hearing that we're living in unprecedented times. At this point, to me, it just sounds like a fancy admission that nobody knows what they're doing and trying to sound professional in their guesses and their predictions. It's really hard to have confidence in this shaky social structure and erratic economic systems that dictate so much of how we live, and yet there are some simple and timeless aspects of life that continue to bring me hope and inspiration as we head into another year that is sort of shrouded in a fog of uncertainty. And so for me, that has been and always will be my family. Now, I am the oldest of five children in my family, and though us kids and my parents all live really quite far apart, I feel closer to them than ever. I've had the incredible fortune to reconnect with my parents and many of my mom's British side of the family in a short trip to England on the Isle of Man that my partner and I took earlier this year. And tomorrow, just after this episode has come out, I will have gone to meet my sister Emily and her precious three little daughters, the youngest of whom, little Lou Jane, was born earlier this year and I haven't even met before. They get to stay here for a whole month since school vacations in Kuwait where they live are really very generous and I'm so excited to take them on outdoor learning adventures every morning while they're here. We've already started calling it jungle school and I have so many activities planned. (laughs) Now on top of all of this hope that my family brings, I've also noticed a real shift in general consciousness in the last couple of years. Now, maybe it's just me because of the line of work that I'm in, but I've seen a huge leap in interest in everything from ecosystem restoration and reforestation projects to growing your own food, developing resilient communities, and building with natural materials. Very rarely do I feel like I'm the weird one out in groups of new people when I'm talking about these topics anymore. And less and less do I have to explain common terms and the importance of things like biodiversity, cycling carbon in the soil, and building bioregional security. It's also encouraging to see all kinds of ecological neighborhood projects and community cleanups as well. Now that we still have a very long way to go to make these ideas and actions a central part of our collective culture, it definitely makes me happy to see how big of a leap in this direction that we have been taking. And even at the government and the industry levels, which are usually the ones that lag the furthest behind. And this is really to the credit to all of you who are listening, for sharing these ideas and their importance with people around you in ways that aren't antagonistic, but are inviting and inspiring. 
I know it's so easy to get combative with others who you see working against these efforts and spreading misinformation, but you have done the hard work of listening deeply and finding ways to communicate compassionately. And it's having a real effect. I can see it. It's really noticeable. And I commend all of you and encourage you to keep persevering, even if it takes a while to see the results. You really can and have been making a difference. Now, another aspect of my life that keeps me hopeful is the company that I work for, Climate Farmers, which has entered into its second year as a startup, and we have so many ambitious and courageous projects planned. I get to work with a team of some of my best friends and people that I truly admire on challenging tasks of helping farmers across Europe to transition to regenerative management of their farms. Together, this last year we organized a really unique conference in Germany with the Besch organization at the Farmer's Cashel in Schwäbisch Hall, and I got to meet some of my heroes in the regenerative ag world while we worked to write a manifesto on the future of regenerative agriculture in Europe based on outcomes and results to help guide agricultural policy across the continent. In another big win this year, our transition finance and tech team are nearing the launch of what are likely the highest quality carbon credits on the market, based on multiple ecosystem health indicators that go far beyond just carbon sequestered, and use open source satellite monitoring technology for verifiable and transparent results. They've also been working to create collaborations with other actors in the ag tech space in order to collaborate, share resources, and accelerate the movement towards a truly regenerative future for farming that rewards best practices for local ecosystems, economies, and the health of farmers and their businesses rather than incentivizing destructive practices the way the current subsidy system does. I also want to give a special shout out to the incredible farmers that I've gotten to work with in our pioneer programs this last year. To Joao, Francisco, Manuel, Carlo and Coralie, Michel, Hannes, Dobimar, Josephine, Alessandro, Juan Pablo, Henry, Torbion, and David for all of your incredible efforts to steward your land and improve the health and biodiversity while managing a farm business in such challenging times. It's nothing short of heroic, the work that you do, really. And I feel so fortunate and so nervous for the huge tasks ahead, but I know that with such a talented and dedicated group of people that we'll be able to accomplish amazing things. In fact, our CEO, Evo Degen, put out a great little end-of-the-year Christmas greeting on our Instagram page to talk about some of what we've accomplished in the last year with a clip from the whole team at the end, so check that out if you have time. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, along these same lines, if you're working in agriculture or ecological restoration of any kind, anywhere in Europe especially, be sure to stay tuned throughout the upcoming year because I've got some exciting opportunities and resources that are in development and will be coming out soon. One example that I can already reveal is that I can now help pretty much anyone on the continent who is working on reforestation at pretty much any scale to get free trees and planting assistance. But don't worry, I'll give the details about this at the end of this episode. Now, another aspect of my work that has been an absolute joy has been working with New Society Publishers. Now, they've been the sponsor of this podcast since long before I ever had a following and they believed in the quality of the information and interviews enough to stick with me as this show has slowly grown. They're such a unique company in the world of publishing because they're only a small group of dedicated people gathered on little Gabriola Island off the coast of Western Canada who are committed to publishing the books that will help to build a better world. And I was fortunate enough to visit with them shortly before I moved to Spain and I got to meet them in person. 
They all live the lifestyles that they promote in their books from growing their own food and gardens and their individual homesteads to capturing rainwater and working in the community all the way to the ethics of the business itself, which is owned by the employees. And even the books are only printed on post-consumer recycled paper produced entirely in North America. I was so inspired by their way of doing business that I made a little documentary of what I learned, which you can also find on their website. Now, there is one more big piece of news that I've been holding close to my chest this last couple of months, but things are finally looking good enough that I can share it with all of you. Now, back in October, my partner Alba and I put a reserve payment down on a property after over two years of constant searching. She and I have been looking for a place where we could bring our families together and provide for ourselves and our community since we decided to give our relationship a go, and I moved to Spain back in August of 2019. Now, of course, so many things have come up in that time that threatened to derail our dream, not the least of which was the pandemic that tanked our chances at a house that we tried for literally in February of 2020, right before the lockdowns. But thanks in large part to our mutual support of one another and so much encouragement from our families, we continued to save everything that we could until we finally had enough to put down a down payment. Now this will be a lifelong project with a lot of potential that will unfold in the years ahead. And together we want to bring you along on this journey of learning and collaboration. So I'll be publishing as many of the steps in this process as I can find time for. We're in a really unique situation at the moment where we've reserved the place, but we haven't bought it just yet. It's kind of weird in other places that I've heard of how you buy properties, but it's fairly common here in Spain. Uh, this is one of the larger challenges that we have in the short term, since we will need to navigate the financing before our deadline of October the 12th. We're currently looking into all of the financial aid and subsidy options that exist in Europe, as well as building our business plans in order to look for a loan and possibly even investment. Now, even though I have quite a bit of experience with ecological projects by now, business and finance is really new for me, and I'm looking for all the help that I can get. Though that, of course, is a very necessary part of the process, I am most excited, of course, about the projects and the designs that I'll be planning in the coming months for the house and for the three hectares of land surrounding it. So let's talk first about the building because it's quite unique. Quickly before I get started with this description, uh, if you're the type of person who needs to see pictures for these descriptions to make sense, you can follow along with the upcoming descriptions with the pictures on the Regenerative Skills Instagram account because I've just made a post there that should help this all make more sense. So let's go. Okay, so... When we were searching real estate listings online, the first thing that stood out about this place was the little stone bridge that crosses the river to the house. It turns out that both the bridge and the original building of the house are over a thousand years old. They were built during Roman times and the earliest records of the place date back to the year 937. Now, A lot of you who have lived in Europe all your lives are probably thinking, yeah, it's no big deal. There are old buildings and castles like that scattered all over the place here. But for me, having grown up mostly in the U.S. and living in countries that don't have as much old architecture, I was floored by this. Now, for most of its life, this building functioned as a mill, which is where it gets its name, Molly de Boujons. We believe that it was in the 60s or the 70s when the mill wheel was removed and the renovations began. And since then, there were two annexes added to the main structure. There's a large dining hall, which was used as a restaurant space until about three years ago, and in addition to the living space on the north side. Now, the building has been quite well maintained, and it has been continuously inhabited until recently. 
The thick stone walls of the original structure and the more recent additions are totally stable. So far as we can tell, there's only one structural issue, which is a rotted Vega or a support beam in the cavernous basement. And we're looking at it with a structural engineer, and this is probably one of the first renovation projects that we'll be looking to work on. The trick is that the valley in which the property sits in is one of the coldest little microclimates in all of Catalonia. Nighttime winter temperatures have already reached minus 7 degrees Celsius this December, and I've heard of it getting as low as minus 15, which is only 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, while that's nothing for Minnesota, where I spent most of my adolescence, it's quite something for an area where it's rare for temperatures to even drop below freezing. Now, because this building is so old, weatherproofing and insulation will likely be a big priority as will sustainable heating and power options since the house currently has an antiquated gas oil central heating system. The big advantage of the house is that there's a lot of space. Because the site has been run as a hostel for many years, there are enough rooms and bathrooms to run a rural tourism business once we're able to get through all of the necessary renovations, which probably isn't going to be super fast because of financial constraints. The dining hall has great potential as an event and a teaching space, as do the grounds outside with access to the little waterfall and the swimming area in the river. My partner's big dream in the beginning is to renovate the entrance and old kitchen at the front of the building into an agrobotiga or a farm store. She has an amazing aesthetic eye since she has worked as a graphic designer for a long time and is behind many of our town's holiday posters and event promotions. She's already planning how to organize everything and make it beautiful and inviting, which is great because I like to build stuff, but I'm not nearly as focused on that stuff. Now, together, we're already making plans to connect with local growers and producers to offer their products in the community, since there are no other general goods stores for at least a 15-minute drive around us. Now, we've heard from the neighbors that the previous owners used to sell food from their garden and did quite well since there are two campgrounds and a little neighborhood of houses uh, that really enjoy the convenience of that location. Ever since we put down the reserve payment, I've been doing tons of research, and I began building a 3D model of the house based on the plans that we have, which I plan to play around with as we come up with ideas for the configuration of the store and the other rooms. And I've included a snapshot of the model in the pictures as well. I, of course, intend to use natural and locally sourced materials in every application that I can, and I plan to work with natural building schools and teachers from this area, as well as drawing from my own experience from working with earthen materials in the U.S. and Ecuador, the Philippines, Senegal, and Guatemala to steward this beautiful historic building for the generations after us. All right, now let's talk about the land around the building itself. So the house is situated on the edge of La Riera Major, a small tributary of the River Ter, which winds its way up to Girona and out to the Mediterranean. The water catchment comes mostly from the Monsain National Park, which is just south of us, and that means that the water is remarkably clean compared to other waterways in the region. Now, while the mill was functioning back in the day, the previous owners also ran a small fishery, both of which were fed by a series of old dams. But back in 2018, when the Catalan Water Authority was rehabilitating these waterways, they removed all of the dams in order to help the fish gain access to higher waters for spawning upstream. Now, though I certainly support this effort, in the following years, tons of sediment were washed downstream and a major storm in 2020 further eroded the riverbanks to the point where now the water level is a couple of meters lower than it has been for over a thousand years. 
Many of the trees that were planted along the banks dried out as a result and died, uh, which seems to be destabilizing the edges even further. So that's definitely going to be one of the projects. The three hectares of the land included in the purchase are not one continuous parcel. The original land has been subdivided and parceled out among family inheritances for some time, and so the portions that are now coming with the house are actually seven mostly discontinuous plots. And the one along the river to the north is where the trees are drying out, uh, for reference. The largest plot is along the southern bank of the river, below the house. And you can see all of this on the base map in the, in the pictures. And that parcel is about 1.5 hectares of uh, flood zone pasture. In the past, they grew poplar trees there on about a 20-year rotation for lumber. But the trees have long since been harvested and the soil left there is essentially just river sand and sediment. My initial idea is to plant a very dense orchard of traditional fruit trees, bushes, and perennial species, but I'm still gathering information and I don't want to jump to any conclusions before my research is done, which is something that I always recommend to my clients, but you know, it's, it's hard to do. You, you get a lot of ideas. The next largest parcel is directly above the house on a very steep and rocky slope. On that slope, there are mostly home oak trees or encinas, uh, and because of its southern exposure and the higher elevation from where the house is, this may become a site for a photovoltaic installation in the future, since it doesn't have much potential for cultivation because of the, the angle, and the panels could be raised and the existing trees allowed to grow with kind of only occasional pollarding, so that they don't need to block the panels, but also don't need to be killed. The logs could then be used to grow mushrooms, chipped for mulch, or used as fuel wood. Now the last parcel of interest is a funky little triangle above the road that runs along the north side of the river above the house. This was used as a garden space by many previous owners and it is divided into I think three or four terraces. I can't really tell for sure yet because the plot is so overgrown with brambles and brush that I can't even see the terraces anymore. A few struggling fruit trees are still there but are definitely in need of some love. In the short term I'm probably looking at planting a tree nursery there since I'll need a lot of trees and shrubs for the habitat restoration projects along the river, and I'll likely need to plant a significant line of hedgerows and living fences around the various plots to keep wild boar and deer at bay while the fruit trees and the perennials get established. Eventually, this will likely be the site of the main veggie garden because it's out of the floodplain and has ideal southern exposure. So those are some of the particulars of the site itself. For those of you who are interested in following along the design and the development process, let me give you an idea of the major factors and data of the area. So one of the reasons why I'm going into such detail in explaining all of this is because I'm now going into the third season of teaching the last module of the Ecosystem Restoration Design course run by Gaia Education Online. And in my process of designing for the site, I'm going through my own design process so that my students can see that I really do use this process for myself and my clients, and I'm not just teaching them things to do for the sake of doing it. And there are still a lot of the pieces that I'm putting together. I'm still in the early stages of research, but I'll start from the top. So the community of Bujons is situated in eastern central Catalonia near the historic city of Vic in the county of Usona. Now this area has a long agricultural history, mostly of growing grains and raising pigs. The area around us is all forested mountains, which are part of the pre-coastal range. There isn't a lot of agriculture specifically in our area, though there are some small orchards, and the town to the east of us is the most famous in Catalonia for growing Christmas trees. 
The community sits in between two protected natural parks, or Espais Naturales, of the UNESCO Biosphere site of the Montseigne and Las Guillerias y Savasona, the second of which begins just across the bridge from the house. Now, I encourage you to look up both places because they're spectacular and are home to some incredible wildlife, and I'll share some links in the show notes. So though most people associate Catalonia with the Mediterranean climate of Barcelona and both the Costa Brava and the Costa del Sol, which isn't wrong, the interior is actually a CFB classification on the Koppen-Geiger map, making it a temperate oceanic climate. The frost dates here put the land somewhere in the 7B to 8A area of the hardiness zones, and the microclimate makes the house quite cold in the winter because of its low situation in the valley, which means it loses the sun quite early. I've even heard from the neighbors that live just a little bit higher above that there can be a difference of 5 degrees Celsius between their place and ours. Now, we traditionally average about 650 millimeters of rain a year, but this is an erratic average at best. For example, 2020 got over 800 millimeters, and this year we won't likely reach 500. The soil on site is looking like it will be one of the primary challenges. It's almost completely sand. Now, that's not just in our area down in the river Flood Valley, but all around us. And I know this because there are three active sand and gravel mines within walking distance of the house. I'm not sure exactly what the mineral composition yet. It's one of the things that I've got on my list to figure out. I've also taken a number of soil samples already and have been using the microbiometer to measure microbial levels and bacteria to fungi ratios as well. At the moment, those levels look to be quite low, and so making compost and adding organic matter along with adding bioinoculants will probably be a big part of early development projects on the land. I've also been putting a lot of time into creating site maps for the base of the design that I'll be developing along with the business plans. The fact is that it's just far too big of a property to be a simple homestead, and both my partner and I feel inspired to do something that really involves the local community and helps to promote education and the advancement of the regenerative movement in our area. Now, fortunately, Catalonia has many incredible companies and organizations that we're in the process of partnering with that promote local and traditional production, land management, and ecological restoration. Much more than trying to be the leaders and innovators in this field, I'm motivated to play a supporting role and to dedicate our efforts to assisting those working at a larger scale and welcoming newcomers into these projects as well. Now, the history of this place that we'll be stewarding has really helped to confirm the ideas that I've long held about the concept of ownership. This place has housed and nourished so many generations before me, and so long as I don't destroy what has been built and cared for, it will hopefully do the same for many generations after me. So how can I say that I ever own this place, even after the mortgage is paid off? If anything outlives you or has existed long before you, can you really say that you own it? At best, we'll be paying for access. And knowing this really makes it sink in for me that we have a profound responsibility to care for the legacy of this place, to leave it better than we found it, and to pass it on to others who are committed to doing the same. Now, I have painted a pretty rosy picture of the site and the building up until now, partly because I'm completely in love with it. But it's important to acknowledge that every site has its challenges. I kind of glossed over the sandy soil situation and the low light access in the valley coupled with low temperatures, but these might turn out to be quite limiting factors for what we can grow there. 
The financial situation is something that I've probably downplayed as well, given the fact that we spent all of our life savings on the down payment and we'll need a lot of luck and hard work if we're to finalize the purchase. All of the clients that I've ever worked with have voiced concerns over not having enough financial capital to realize what they want in the time that they want, even the wealthiest ones. So I'm going to do my best to not fall into that trap of thinking. I know from experience that a lack of financial capital can be overcome with abundant capital in other forms, abundant creativity and patience. So I'll be relying heavily on these resources instead of always trying to solve challenges with money. There are also a lot of tight restrictions on what we can build and how we can renovate the building because of its historical registration. And this could also prove to be a big limitation. The forest and the river around us also presents some real challenges. I told you that a lot of the land is within a flood zone, and I believe that the 100-year flood predictions even include the area of the house itself. The forest, being as dense as it is, depending on how it's managed, could also really prove to be a fire risk. There have been a lot of wildfires in nearby areas in Catalonia in previous years, and so forestry management is going to be a real challenge, especially because I don't have access to most of it. That same forest in the river also has problems with invasive species, which I say in quotes, because I don't really share the perspective of many of the government agencies that those species need to be eradicated, the way they're currently trying to do by injecting poisons into the hardy black locust trees that pop up everywhere. It's certainly going to be something that we need to manage probably for the rest of our lives, though. Now, in my case, the language is also going to be a big part of my learning curve. Though I feel quite competent in Spanish, the interior of Catalonia is where there's a very strong separatist movement to secede from the rest of Spain, and people are very adamant about speaking Catalan, even though they all speak Spanish as well. I have a lot of respect for these efforts to preserve especially regional languages, and certainly sympathize with this sentiment due to all of the repression from the government in Madrid in recent history, and so I plan to make a real effort to learn the language. The simple truth of being a foreigner puts a big responsibility on me to take the time to learn and adapt to the culture and the social expectations of my new home. Though this is a responsibility that I fully embrace, it doesn't really make it any easier. Luckily though, I've been working hard on this for the last two and a half years since I've been here, and I've made some real progress, but this year I'm really going to treat it as a job. I've lived in other countries where immigrants like myself, especially those in privileged positions who often refer to themselves as expats, have lived in a place for decades with no effort towards assimilating or learning to communicate, and I'm determined not to be that type of traveler. As much as a personal passion project, this is going to be a journey of growth and community integration for me. From a lifetime of travel, I've learned over and over again that the best way to effectively contribute to the place where you reside is to work to deeply understand the nuances of the story of the place where you are and the people who are sharing that place with you. So with that, I invite you to come with me on this journey. Up until now, this podcast has mostly focused on the interviews that I've done with people whose work and ideas have inspired me and that I've been learning from. And though these interviews will still be a big part of the show, I'll also be sharing the journey of design, learning, and development that I'll be going through on this new project, much like the first two seasons when I was building the little homestead with my friends Neil and Jeremy in Guatemala. Though my main work since this show began has been to help to design and build these types of projects for others, and I've learned a lot and gained valuable experiences in the process, there is always something new to learn and unexpected challenges along the way. I'll also be sharing pictures and videos on the Regenerative Skills social media accounts whenever I can make time to do that so you can follow along with me. 
And if you're a member of the Discord channel, you'll also get to see a lot more of the personal and private side of this journey that I'm just not as comfortable sharing with the general public. So over time, I have plans to create courses and learning material around some of the more exciting projects like the natural buildings, landscape development, restoration efforts, and more. And this is truly a lifelong endeavor that I'm embarking on here, and so I'm really excited to begin to share it with all of you. Another development that I'm thrilled about in this new year is that I'm going to be partnering increasingly with other shows in the permaculture and regenerative scene. Later this month, I'll have a preview of these collaborations coming out with Scott Mann of the Permaculture Podcast and Gilles Cloutier from Sustainable World Radio, two of the longest-running and most successful shows anywhere in podcasting. We'll be talking about how we all got into podcasting in the first place and what will be coming of this new collaboration in the year to come. I've also got a community call planned with my friends Kuhn, host of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture podcast, and Dimitri, host of Regenerative Agroforestry podcast. We're coming together to host the call for each of our networks to start in 2022. We're coming together to host a call for each of our networks to start off 2022 as the year of regeneration. You can join the three of us on an open Q&A where we'll be talking about our own projects and what we're most excited for and inspired by in the year to come. We'll have opportunities to connect with others in the network and the chance to share your own projects and goals. So join us live at 7 p.m. Central European time on Monday, January 10th in this connection of communities. And let's get this year of regeneration started together. You can find the link for the event in the show notes for this episode on the website and in our link tree on Instagram. Be sure to sign up soon because spots are limited and I'll look forward to connecting with you on the 10th. Okay, whew. that was a lot of stuff to remember. So let's break it down in a quick summary. All of the action points that I'm about to mention will be linked in order on the show notes for this episode on the website, so don't worry too much about remembering them. If one of these opportunities or events sounds interesting, just look it up when you have time. So here goes. If you have a restoration or reforestation project anywhere in Europe, click the link to fill out a short information form to see if you're eligible to receive free trees and support in planting them. This can be a project of almost any size, so don't hesitate to check today and receive all the support you need to get your planting project off the ground and into the ground. Now, if you're early in the process of starting an ecological restoration project and you want to learn how to make your own ecosystem restoration design, consider the Gaia Education online course, which includes incredible teachers such as Alan Featherstone Watson, Neil Spackman, Precious Peary, and a slew of accomplished and knowledgeable restoration professionals, including myself, to guide you through every step of the process and help to ensure the success of your project. We offer the highest value carbon credits on the market to help in the financial transition, and our developing academy, community of professional regenerative agriculture consultants, and support for you in the transition process will help you restore the health and future of your farm landscape. Learn more at climatefarmers.org. Learn more about the unique and pioneering work of New Society publishers and check out their extensive catalog of books to build a better world. From natural building to gardening, homesteading, and holistic parenting advice, you'll find the best quality information on what you're looking for at newsociety.com. If you're inspired to follow me and my partner on our journey to develop our property in the mountains of Catalonia and build a resilient community around us in the process, you can follow us on our YouTube channel by searching Regenerative Skills, our Instagram account by the same name, which has all the pictures from the descriptions on our new site, and for the more personal parts that I keep off the public forums, as well as the opportunity to share your journey and interact with the whole Regenerative Skills community, 
you can sign up for free to our Discord channel through the link on the homepage. Want to take the next step in your own learning journey from this podcast? You can gain access to all the unedited interviews and skill exchange calls as well as resource packets from the episode starting at just $5 a month on our Patreon. If direct guidance is what you're looking for, I have a couple of spots open for personal coaching calls in the new year as well. So sign up before they fill up. And as always, if there's anything else you want to reach out to me about, you can get in touch directly at info at regenerativeskills.com. Now that's it for the fifth season of this podcast. Thanks sincerely to all of you who have made it an unforgettable one. Thanks to you and your loyal listenership, this show is now in the top 2% of podcasts worldwide based on weekly downloads, which is just so much more than I ever could have hoped for. So thank you dearly for your support and encouragement to get this far. The launch of season six will be back like clockwork every Friday starting on February 4th. But in the meantime, don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way. And, of course, have a happy new year.